This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about money, boys! Here we go again. This is John Connor. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Franchise Fatigue. This is a show where we explore film series one movie at a time. I am your host, James Hamrick, and as always, I am joined with my co-host, Gabe Green. What's going on? Hey, how's it going? Oh, pretty good. Uh, I've got uh, a reduction in overtime, and so I have been kicking the movie watching into high gear. So I've been doing pretty good lately. Nice. I've been tr- trying to take a sort of a sort of a sabbatical from media watching. I'm still allowing myself things like WandaVision and you know the odd uh, new theatrical release, like when those actually happen, which they, sadly they don't. Um, but otherwise, my movie watching is pretty slow, and it's it's sad and depressing, and I hate it. <laughs> All right, but today uh, we're going to be talking about uh, we're continuing our discussion through uh, the Terminator series, and uh, we are we just crossed the halfway mark, and now we are. In I guess the beginning of the end with Terminator Salvation, the much beloved series by that wonderful auteur McShee. Uh, before talk about, yeah, before we talk about that, I want to ask you guys uh, if you enjoy the show to please uh, take a moment to go and rate and review us on iTunes and uh, give us a like on Facebook. You can keep up to date with all the latest episodes and also leave feedback that can be read on this show. And I asked on Facebook and Twitter what our listeners thought about this movie. And uh, Jeff said, the one film in the franchise outside of the first two that that can at least be called decent. Unnecessary, but decent. On Twitter, Matthew said, uh, Marcus was a much better character in this. And I honestly wish that they had gone with the alternate ending in this. John Connor dies and his, is that visage? Visage. Right. Um is grafted over the frame of Marcus. It's sad to see Anton Yelchin because he went too soon. Uh, Brandon at Brandon Mutala said, Christian Bale is terrible, but I really love the visual style of the film. The special effects are fantastic, and I think this is a wonderful entry into the franchise. Mike at Jarek said, top-notch production and a visual treat. But if you take us into the future, the John has to be front and center in the narrative, at perhaps at the peak of this story. I was a little confused by that one. I'm, I'm assuming he's saying that He's, he's, it's a complaint that uh, John Connor isn't the lead. I mean, I'm guessing that's what he's getting at. I think so. Uh, so moving on into the behind-the-scenes story of this film. Again, this one was rather long and tortured. Uh, so during the production of Rise of the Machines, they began laying plans for a third film. After the release, uh, the director Jonathan Mostow and the writers John Brancato and Michael Ferris began scripting for Terminator 4. Mario Kazar and Andrew Vanya of C2 Pictures were planning to continue the series. Um, in 2005, it was announced that the sequel would take a significant time jump and that uh, Nick Stahl and uh, Claire Danes would not be coming back. But this iteration of the film fizzled out, and in spring of uh, 2007, Vanya and Kassar sold the rights to the Halcyon Company, uh, who began their, their, their own plans to uh, start a whole new trilogy. By the end of 2007, McGee had been hired to direct this film. At this point, he had done the two... Uh, Charlie's Angels films and was coming off his sports drama, We Are Marshall. They brought in a, a long series of writers to rewrite uh, Brancato and Ferris's script. Among them would have been Paul Haggis. Uh, he's probably best known for the, the most hated best picture winner, Crash. <laughs> uh, Sean Ryan, he's a TV writer and producer behind shows like SWAT and The Shield. Also, Anthony Zeker, uh, who's the creator of all the CSI spinoffs. 
Uh, but according to Nick G, the primary contributor to the final film was Jonathan Nolan, uh, Christopher Nolan's younger brother, uh, with whom he's written many of his films. Um, so I guess he, he probably came in through Christian Bale. They had just worked together on the on the, uh, the first two Batman films, or at least no, I don't. I don't think Jonathan Nolan worked in the first one. No, I think it was. Yeah, it would have been the, just the Dark Knight. But uh, according to uh, Mick G, uh, Nolan did most of the writing, and he was also writing throughout shooting, or at least the the writing that on uh, the final product, because this film changed a whole lot. Well, and one of the big reasons for all the constant rewrites was that uh, the original ending leaked. And so the part that leaked was that John Connor was going to die in the end of the film and that his wife and the rest and, you know, the, the rest of the human resistance brass would graft uh, his skin onto you know the Terminator skeleton of Marcus and that they would then you know, keep the legend of John Connor alive and you know, and continue to inspire humanity to victory. Uh, but a, according to Bale and McShee, this this stuff that came out after the leak, they said that the actual original ending was going to be even darker than that. Um, so they said that after the skin graft, Marcus's would, Marcus would wake up and his eyes would turn red, and then he would ki- then kill uh, uh, John's wife Kate, uh, Kyle Reese, and the little girl Star, and uh, Common's character, I forget his name. He would shoot all of them, and then the film would cut to black, and Skynet would win. Um, and from what I read, Bill was really into this ending. Uh, and wasn't happy when they just, they had to rewrite it all after the leak. Um, the first idea is interesting. I don't know if I like it, but it's interesting. The second idea just sucks. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, but yeah, it's it's wild. Pretty uh, pretty bold. Pretty out there. Bold, but I think bold doesn't equal good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it definitely feels. I don't know. I guess if it, if this was planned as like the first part of a new trilogy, I guess we could have seen what their their thoughts were after that. But I don't know. How do you have a trilogy after that? <laughs> so for the for the film's cast, uh, like you said, it was revealed that uh, that Stahl and uh, Danes were not going to be coming back. Um, this was said. Uh, in an interview where, where Stahl said, none of the cast is coming back. The The Terminator 4 story is changing conceptually. I believe it's a jump to the future, so my character will be quite a bit older. That's all that I know. So I'm not coming back, which is a drag. But honestly, by the time this came out in 2009, he probably would have been old enough. <laughs> yeah, true. The role ended up going to, to Christian Bale. Uh, director Mick G uh, thought that he was the most credible action star in the world. Uh, and Bale was actually the first person to sign on... Uh, for salvation in 2007 he and then bell tells a story where he he considers himself a big fan of the series but he was not at all interested in uh working on the film uh and in, in an interview in 2018 he actually said that he rejected the role three times before accepting it uh and it was mainly to spite people who told him it was a bad idea he said there's there's a perverse side to me where people were telling me there's no way on God's earth that I should take that role. And I was thinking the same thing. But when people started verbalizing that to me, I started to go, oh, really? All right. Well, watch this then. So there was a little bit of that involved in the choice. So there we go. That's uh, that, that's how he came to play Connor. For the, the new Terminator-Human hybrid, uh, Marcus Wright, the role went to Sam Worthington. Uh, and Worthington was actually... Uh, recommended personally by both James Cameron and Russell Crowe. I guess he's Australian, but what 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 else is his connection to Russell Crowe? 
Have they been? Yeah, in I'm the not sure. Movie? Like, there's the obvious Avatar connection with James Cameron, but um, I'm not sure. I'll have to go back and look at look through their filmography. Um, I mean, obviously, everyone in Australia knows each other, but uh, that's true. Otherwise... There's like what 17 of them total. Uh, <laughs> uh, McGee was happy with the casting, though, because he said uh, he looked tougher than great many of today's wafy young male actors. That's a very McGee quote. That sounds like a lot like him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but apparently, uh, McGee actually wanted the role of Marcus Wright to go to Christian Bale. And Christian Bale was the one who talked him into giving them the role of John Connor. Anton Yelchin was cast as Kyle Reese. Uh, Moon Bloodgood was cast as Blair Williams. Uh, and McGee said he really wanted her character to continue the feminine strength that has been prominent throughout the franchise. And then, like we already said, uh, Danes was not set to reprise her role. Uh, the role ended up going to Bryce Dallas Howard. Danes apparently did not have a good time with Terminator. Uh, she said, I felt sort of kidnapped by the production. Uh, and then whenever they asked if she was considering Terminator 4, she said, I don't think so. But it wasn't actually Bryce Dallas Howard who was first cast. The role uh, was originally going to be played by Charlotte Gainsbourg. Uh, however, as is usually the case whenever this doesn't work out, there were scheduling conflicts, so Howard got the part. Honestly, it does not matter one whit who plays this Yeah, character. I was about to say. <laughs> it's, it's whatever. For the role of Barnes, John's right-hand man, it went to Common. And there was just, there were, there were funny things said about the character. Uh, Common stated that the character was initially, this is not the final product, but was initially only just a badass character, you know, really the big heavy of the movie before McGee's intervention. Common agreed with this and he said, I didn't want to just be the big bulky guy there. And they ended up working on his emotional side, thinking about how it would be in a world that's post-apocalyptic, a world where, you know, things have been destroyed and we're really fighting for survival. That definitely uh, came across in the film. Without a yeah, doubt. I was about to say. Uh, for the rest of the cast, uh, you have Jane Alexander as Virginia, who is the leader of a group of human refugees, uh, also has tons of screen time. Uh, and then this is actually a really depressing uh, bit of casting is Helena Bonham Carter uh, got the part of Dr. Serena Kogan, uh, as well as like who we see as Skynet. Um, Tilda Swinton originally had the part, but ended up getting replaced by Carter before filming started. Uh, and part of why she accepted <laughs> was because uh, Tim Burton is a massive Terminator fan. <laughs> However, uh, unfortunately on July 20th, 2008, uh, Carter delayed filming by a day and was ended up giving given an indefinite leave uh, because she lost four of her family members in a minibus accident in South Africa. Whoa. Um, I did not yeah. know about this. Yeah. Very, very sad. So this is what, like, they, they basically had a day's worth of shooting from her. And they, they scrounged together what they could. Wow. Uh, but that's why she is... So I, I I was wondering watching him like I there's meant to be more I feel like um, but yeah they they shot for a day and then that was it I mean I didn't notice because there was meant to be more feels like my entire feelings on the whole uh, well, film fair enough but yeah that's well, really really sad. speaking of yeah 
speaking of meant to be more, uh, we have Michael Ironside as General Ashdown, the leader of the resistance. What a wit, man. That guy's voice is incredible. When you oh, <laughs> yeah, use him more, he needs to be bigger. And then for the uh, T-800, the Schwarzenegger uh, reprisal, uh, bodybuilder Roland Kickinger uh, portrayed him physically. He had actually played Schwarzenegger in the 2005 uh, biograph- biographical film See Arnold Run. Hmm. But yeah, he, so he, he played the physical uh, Terminator on set uh, with Schwarzenegger's uh, blessing for them to reuse his face through CGI. Uh, he was busy being governor of California at the time. Jetta Grace Sperry uh, plays Star. Uh, and then lastly, so it's technically not a reprisal, but we do hear the voice of Linda Hamilton through the recordings that she makes uh, and Terminator. And am I crazy or is that a re-record? Because it sounds really like dull and robotic. And I feel like there's a lot more personality in that original scene at the end of uh, the first film. It sounded the same to me, but I I wasn't like it, it. I guess if there was a difference, it wasn't huge enough for me to notice. But they've already didn't they redo the the last quote before between Terminator One and Two? I know they they added more in the third okay. film. They added several more lines. I think my memory of the third film is already fading. <laughs> uh, I was about to say, man, it's amazing. I remember that last sequence. And I'm like, ah, uh, it was like a not as good Terminator Two. I think I thought it was okay. Like, the, yeah, there, there. I I remember the the truck sequence, thinking it's awesome. I remember a lot of like '90s tech stuff, and then and and then the ending. So, filming began in the spring of 2008. Uh, the film was primarily shot in New Mexico. It was shot by a Shane Hurlbut, uh, who served as DP on We Are Marshall for McGee, and they've worked together on various films since. Oh, poor Shane. <laughs> we will talk about him later <laughs> very soon. Um, Stan Winston again returned to handle all the practical makeup and creature effects. Uh, this was part of the final of his uh, final batch of films before he passed away in 2008, a year before Salvation was released, and the film is dedicated to him. Uh, McGee was very committed to using as many practical effects as possible while filming. Uh, He specifically called out the Star Wars prequels as an aesthetic that he was very much trying to avoid. He said, I say with respect, I didn't want that Star Wars experience of everything's a blue screen, tennis balls, and go for it. I had Stan Winston build all the machines. We built all the sets, the explosive power, the explosive power you feel so so that wind and that percussion and that heat blowing your eyebrows off. For the film's many failures, I think that notion the aesthetic that feeling that practical uh that practical feeling you get watching this film definitely came through um and with its a uh, 200 million dollar budget it is the most expensive film in the series <laughs> uh, and so as you said uh, regarding shane hurl but uh one of the most notable things to come out of this production was a rather spectacular expletive laden rant uh that christian <laughs> bale uh, uh from christian bale uh that was recorded on set and then leaked before the film came out so from what I understand, uh, Hurlbut, uh, who's the, uh, as I said before, he's the director of photography on the movie. Uh, he walked, he walked into, uh, Christian Bale's eyeline while a take was going to check on a light or something. And, uh, Bale just blew up on him. Uh, and according to what he's saying, this is something that had been happening several times before. Uh, and the recording is incredibly uncomfortable. I, I, I suffer from like extreme, I have an extreme reaction to, to secondhand cringe. 
like if we're watching a really embarrassing scene in a movie, like I could be alone in my bedroom, but I'm like almost I'm like wanting to cover my face, just like make it stop. Uh, and yeah, I, I get that listening to this, and it it just goes on and on, and you, you think you think Bale's winding down that he's he's, he's burnt out his energy, and nobody goes at it again. Uh, it's crazy. Um, yeah, you have anything to say about this? Oh, I, I mean, it's. It's I feel like that really jump started the whole let's try to catch celebrity meltdowns craze because there's some of them on YouTube now. Yeah. Uh, but that yeah that completely blew up and he like he ended up apologizing for it and he sounds sincere. Uh, it's a really it's a really good apology like for, for what it's worth. Yeah, he like he he definitely feels embarrassed and like remorseful for it. You know, according to him, like he he was saying and I forget where it was. Apparently wherever. Uh, he was he was listening to a a radio station that was consistently uh, kind of poking fun at the incident. So he ended up being a caller, uh, and and that's where uh, one of his bigger apologies came from. Uh, you know, he talks about just like getting setting things straight with with Shane the day of. They got back on good terms, and they had to work for like two more months. Um, uh, and McGee was asked about it. And I actually, I really liked McGee's response because he was very gracious to to everybody on board. He was, uh, he didn't like throw anybody under the bus, either Bale or or Shane. Um, but there's a funny yeah, line about both both Bale and uh, McGee talking about it. it's like, like there was no question of any violence happening on set because Hurl was built. He's like he's built like a linebacker, so if the fight ever happened, Bale was going down. Yeah. That was kind of funny. Um, One of my favorite things, and I'm just going to go ahead and recommend this. There's a there's a show called The Impressionist. It's like a web series. I, I don't know where it used to all be on on YouTube, but I, I can't find it there anymore. But it's uh it's the guy. He voices um, Red Skull in Infinity War. Ross uh, Marquand. A, it's Ross, Ross Marquand. Um, it's a show he and this other impressionist did. And in it, so they're part of their jobs were basically to call in and do like interviews for celebrities who didn't want to have to. <laughs> uh, and so on one of the episodes, he was hired by Bale to to call in to do an apology interview. Uh, and the episode is hilarious because like he starts to feel like they're pressing him too much. Like he's like, I apologize enough. <laughs> and he ends up having like. In in a, an impression of Bale, he has his own blow up, and so everybody thinks that Bale blows up twice. Uh, I guess he had to stop stuff. doing that when he became famous. Yeah, you know, but it's pretty great. Yeah, so that happened. And another thing I do want to mention is that th- this this franchise's history is kind of crazy. You look at the gaps in between the films. You got seven years between uh, the first two, and then 12 years between the f- second and the third. Then um, six years between th- third and fourth, uh, five years between no six years between Salvation and Genesis, and then another four years between Genesis and Dark Fate. Like this massive gaps, and at least up until I think I'm pretty sure that each and every film has a different production company, and most of them have different distributors. Like this this series has just been bouncing all over the place for its entire um entire uh, run this time around it was the halcyon company and columbia distrib- uh, so the halcyon company and columbia produced it and sony distributed internationally while warner brothers uh, handled the domestic release and i think it's gonna be someone else next next time around and for the for the film score uh elfin was hired uh and he began composing it in january of 2009 
originally, McGee wanted to hire Gustavo Santaloya. Sorry, I'm sure I mispronounced that. Santaloya. Nailed it. There you go. Uh, to work on the, the music for the human characters. Uh, and then he wanted to approach either Tom York or Johnny Greenwood for Skynet's themes. And I'm sure like, that would have probably been pretty great. Um, he originally approached Hans Zimmer, um, but Hans wasn't able to. And then he met with Brad Fidel, uh, but decided he kind of wanted to find a new, like, audio, not, not soundscape, but a, just a, a new theme for, for this new... And at this point, I, b- I believe uh, Brad Fidel had just kind of retired from Hollywood. Yeah, so that makes sense. Uh, but he ended up going with uh, Elfman to give it what he said was a Wagnerian quality. And the last little thing that I found funny was uh, apparently there was a little while where Common had expressed interest in writing like an original song for the film's soundtrack. And man, what a throwback to like the Will Smith Men in Black Wild Wild West days. <laughs> and for the film's release, uh, it had its North America release on May, tw- uh, May 21st, 2009, uh, with its world premiere being on uh, May 14th, a week prior in the Grumman's Chinese Theater in Hollywood. I could never hear about that anymore without thinking of the Mandarin, the Chinese Theater. Oh yeah, me too. I always, I always see a good old James Badgedale like getting flung across. So th- this is this is your uh, the first one in the series, James, that you've actually seen prior to this, and I, I've only seen it once before. I thought it was okay at the time. Uh, uh, did you do you remember your first viewing, or did it leave any effect, or did you just completely forget it? Uh, no, so I remembered. Uh, I remember a decent bit. I remember an impressive amount, considering I saw it once in two thousand nine and, and hadn't seen it since. And I do like I have a very specific memory. So uh, I was actually on vacation in Gulf Shores, Alabama, with both my immediate family and then like my aunt and uncle and their whole family. And it, there was a day where we kind of had everything planned. Uh, and one of the days was we'll just go out and see a movie. Um, and so we ended up going out and seeing uh, Terminator Salvation. And I had never, like I said, I had never seen any of the other films in the franchise. I knew nothing about it except that Arnold Schwarzenegger is in it. And so I went into this knowing nothing about the lore. And I would have been, how old would that have put me? 14 uh, at this film's release. And so I was into movies, but I was very much a... I, I don't really care. Just put cool things in front of me. And I remember having an absolute blast with this in the theater as a 14-year-old. Like, it was just the coolest, most fun, high-octane thing. Like, to rewatching it now, this wasn't the case. But at the time, it felt like it was just, like, the most relentlessly action-packed nonstop. Like, just incredible loud action at every single minute is is what i remember it being uh i I never rewatched it it didn't inspire me to go and watch any of the other films in the series but i remember just having a really good time with it and so the going into it watching it now uh the only memories like this the specifics i have of it is i i remembered uh, the sequence with a giant robot like putting his arms through the top of the building and them escaping and then the the motorcycle chase and then I I remembered that a CGI Arnold shows up at the end for a fight and then little bits and pieces here and there but that's kind of like whenever I think of the movie it's like I, I think of that and I think of the, the trailer as well. 
for some reason, this movie's trailer really stuck with me. So now, now have you seen it again? What are your thoughts? Do you have a is it the same as a fourteen year old James, or have you evolved at all since then? I, I've evolved. So I the thing is, I think what's what's changed before is before I would have said that was a blast, or I, I would have said that was awesome and that was a blast, and now I just say that wasn't very good, but that was also still kind of a blast for me. <laughs> like I. I don't know. I know that this is a lot of people put this at the very bottom. Uh, there's a lot of like, whereas three, I feel like there's, you know, it's, it's tepid. It's like, ah, it's not very good, blah, blah, blah. But I see a lot of like hate for salvation. I don't know. I, I had fun with it. Like it's genuinely not very good. Uh, there's, there's not a lot thematically going on. There's, there's not very much happening with the characters at all, especially and surprisingly John Connor. But like mm-hmm. moment to moment, I I I think it's I think it's the aesthetic. Uh, maybe that just goes a long way in winning me over. But like the scenes that I remember were as awesome as I remembered. Like the giant robot crushing the place and blowing up all the vans and the the subsequent motorcycle chase and like just how dirty and dusty and grimy everything looks. This is, this was definitely in that kind of book of Eli salvation era of yeah. post-apocalyptic visuals. And I don't know. I, I had fun with it. I'm kind of a fan. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, I don't like this movie all that much. Like, okay, it's, it's, I have like two very distinct lines of thought. Like one, I think the aesthetic is pretty incredible. It's a very good looking movie. The 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 his uh geez, his commitment to using practical effects and you know real locations it comes through and I give us I think one of the more impressive looking blockbusters of this era um and it does a lot of things that I, I just wish modern blockbusters would do in how they integrate CGI with you know with practical effects then there's the story and the themes and the arcs and the fact that they don't exist. Like at all, there's not no, nothing. You we we on talked about how characters in this uh, movie, right? Yeah, we talked about how kind of empty the drama in in Rise of the Machines felt. I think Rise of the Machines looks like a deep, introspective, and thoughtful character drama <laughs> in comparison to this film. Um, there are like two ideas that are kind of hinted at once or twice in this film, but otherwise there's no drama to this movie. Like it's, it's gone. It's absent. It doesn't exist. It's, it's truly crazy just how much of an empty experience this movie is. So you have, I uh, guess the two big ideas is one, you know, you know, Marcus Wright as a man who doesn't know he's a Terminator and then he finds out he's a Terminator and he's, you know, and you know, then he, you know, reclaims his humanity. And then there's John Connor, you know, being the prophesized uh, leader of the resistance who no, who who isn't believed, you know, the leadership of the resistance doesn't trust him. And he kind of has to gain, gain the trust of the people and ascend to being the leader. Like those are the two ideas, but all the material devoted to both of those arcs together is a what? Five minutes. Yeah. Maybe 10 minutes. Is it like, I, there's, they play around with, the with Worthington's arc a little bit at least but man Connor is 
the least amount I could say while still acknowledging the fact that it's technically there is what I'll say. Like, it's there in the faintest of ways. Yeah, so I, I, this, we got to talk about McGee as a filmmaker. Um, because, again, I'm very much two mind, of two minds about him. Like, one, as a visual filmmaker, creating a world, capturing action sequences, and just, you know, just having a vision, a, a visual vision, he's, he's excellent. I think, like, there are se- several action sequences in this that are truly impressive. Um, and just the aesthetic is very memorable. Um, but then when you think about him as a dramatic director, I kind of realized that he is... I think he is absolutely incapable of conveying drama. There are a couple, like number one, the script, this, at least the script as filmed. Like I don't, I, f- I have a strong feeling that this film was cut down. Actually, I'm, I'm going to talk about that right now. I, I think this film was shot to be a good 20 minutes to a half hour longer. Uh, did you notice how much ADR there was going on? I didn't, but I was also just looking at the, the cool the cool visuals and not thinking very much about anything. There is a crazy amount of ADR. Like there are, there's like, there are so many scenes where we'll cut to the scene and they'll have an inserted line of ADR explaining what, what scene this, like why, where we are and what we're doing here. And like, like because, because they feel like they chopped out a bit. So they have to cut to there and have a quick explanation. Like there's so much ADR all throughout. Um, and there's just bizarre cuts and just jarring transitions. There's like one really bad one. Uh, a- after uh, after Marcus Wright rescues, what, what's Moon Bloodgood's character's name? I, I don't recall. Um, after he rescues Blair. her, yeah, she's been injured, and she she like goes to like she they start checking out her jacket to, to start treating the wound, and then they cut to afterwards with it with the um the uh the Marauders come. Yeah, and it, like it just cuts to the and the fire. It's the yeah, so, so there's supposedly there's like a deleted scene where it's like this rather gratuitous like stripping scene, which I, I find they cut that out. But you would think they would cut to like a, a short scene with Bale or something, but, but no, like they literally just—it's the hardest cut ever. She starts taking out her jacket, and then bang! Hey, little lady, what you got there? It's so bizarre. It, it's the straight—I I can't believe they didn't catch that in editing. Um, but this is this is a lot of that, and so I feel like much of this film was cut out so i don't know how much i can criticize the script but i can criticize how mcgee directed this film in that in like the five dramatic scenes he has no conception of how to you know make it dramatic he just shoots it like everything else the like we just the the bare dialogue and there's there's no pauses there's no build-up there's no like dramatic zooms like you have Christian Bale giving you know, his, his you know his big speech at the end, and, and his big defiance of um, of high command, and it's little and we just literally just cut away from that. And there's there's like no dramatic music. There's nothing yeah, there. It, like it's he, like he he never allows us to pause or just you know that that kind of build up. And there are so many action directors who can do that. Like with nothing, I think like someone like J.J. Abrams where. Every every scene, every action scene, every beat, every joke is building into the character. He infuses the drama just at every moment. Here, he just directs everything the exact same way, 
and doesn't and not only does he not add any drama to the action scenes or the dialogue or exhibition scenes he doesn't even put drama in the drama it's crazy i i thought uh especially as as bale is you know defying them i thought you know this was done really well years later with winter soldier like where it's it's a very similar scene of of you know him requesting across the entire troops uh, a shared act of defiance and in winter soldier it's it's really well done where you almost you get to feel the stakes of every individual person like as they plant their feet in the ground and in a weird way even though all of these people are we're seeing them for the first time in this montage like when they die it's like oh man these guys they dedicated themselves to this cause that was put forth and and here this is just it's so like bare bones and haphazardly like thrown together yeah like like so like conceptually this is good drama like that moment where he's fulfilled his destiny and you know the people believe in him and they trust him and i was there was really cool that first scene which i think the first scene is pretty incredible where they come in and you get that this is an interesting sense of where john connor is where he knows everything because he's you know he's you know he grew up he spent all of his life preparing for this so he knows so much information that he shouldn't know and so like a, a lot of people trust him and believe in him and, and like like everything's like how you said it would but also the high command's like you know you idiot just get out of the way and you'll go do your job like there was an like, interesting dynamic there and i think that could have been you know so well explored throughout but it just isn't and so like we have that scene and then we have a scene in the middle where he asks you know to do something and they deny him and then we have the scene at the end where the big moment happens but there's been nothing in between to get you know to get from one scene to the next yeah his he spends so much of this movie just sitting in chairs talking about stuff like he's he's so passive for so much like outside of the first scene and then the last scene he is entirely passive uh, before that and like like there are interesting ideas the I, I really like whenever he first comes in and you know everybody just stands up like you get the sense that like i like the idea that like they're throwing around the term like profit with him like be, because you know he it, it helps you fill in the blanks of being like yeah he he did know all of this was happening and so as as he's there saying oh this and this and like i i know all these things you understand the reputation so you understand how he would inspire that kind of reverence from the people but then you would also understand how like people in positions of authority would be like just that that doesn't mean we put you in charge of like all of this milit like military actions like there's there's cool things to do there but he just sits in chairs and talks about robots the whole movie there's a cool way of doing that like, the, the way the mad max films just imply mythology like all these ideas, these like weird religions that crop up and how like certain things are deified. Like there's there's a cool idea to explore just of how, you know, mankind's need for heroes and how now that we've been brought back to the dark ages, you know, they're they're like almost looking in awe up at this this mythological godlike figure. Like there's cool ideas there. Um but yeah, as 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 we'll say a lot, nothing's done with it. Um and okay. Is Christian Bale good here? No. I, it broke I don't think, my I, I heart. I think he's he is trying so very, very hard, but to the point where he's just in a different movie. Like he's just he's just so intense and so angry and glowery. He's got this massive furrow down his brow and he's always sweating and he's so dirty and he looks so tough and like I buy he's a soldier that he could kill me, 
but he's just in a different movie, I think. Yeah, and, and also just the sometimes the delivery is just weird. Like for some reason he's doing his Batman voice for most of it, which is really <laughs> like off-putting. Yeah, I would compare this to a very similar film, Reign of Fire, where I think he's actually he's actually good. He's got some charm, there's a twinkle in his eyes. It's a very dark dour movie. But like he could be, you know, charming and personable, and there's drama there. Like yeah. he's capable of doing this kind of very sim, very similar character. You know, the the leader of mankind's last resistance, but it just doesn't work here. Yeah, the 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 scene that really because because at first during the whole like the, his whole introduction and then as like more and more dialogue happened, I was like, I this is coming off weird. I don't know what I'm thinking. And, and I'll just say, like Christian Bale is my favorite actor of all time. Like I freaking adore him uh which is why i pushed back so long but it was it was the scene with he whenever they've got uh marcus uh chained up and he gets in his face like you're not gonna stop me i'm like what is this this is none of this is right broke my heart sad um you know it's really sad a lot of times whenever we talk about movies like when we get to the lead we can spend like so much time because a movie incorporates so many of its overarching themes with its with its protagonist and we talk about the performance and the nuances I, like, what I don't know what themes? else there is to talk about John now yeah um uh, is he the lead or is Marcus the lead I feel like there are two different movies going on like with themes that don't really like or theoretical themes that don't really intersect and that could have been in, in a in a better movie i think that could have been done well like to almost feel like mm-hmm. you have two separate conflicts going on and if, if both conflicts are done well you could fi- like you find that cool way of you, you find the cool connecting point of like this is where we meet and you know by the time like i don't know to see to see marcus and john finally meet after we've seen them go through these different conflicts could have been cool but here it just it feels so scattershot okay so so since we're on the topic of marcus sam worthington so i there's there's this this thing that happens where every every couple of years there will be a, you know a hot new young male actor that they'll cast in everything that for some it just doesn't quite work it's like Worthington. This is probably a lot before before my time that where I wasn't paying attention, didn't notice. But like Worthington, um, Charlie Hunnam, Taylor Kitsch, Jai, Jai Courtney, Courtney yeah. who's gonna come back in. We're gonna talk about him later on in the next film. We're like, for, they just kind of come out of nowhere and they're in everything. And, and you know, some nothing. people work. Some some people work and they become superstars. You know, and. And, but then there's others where just, and you just kind of wonder, like, how did they get here? And, so, and I think Sam Worthington is probably the least skilled actor out of that bunch. Whereas I feel like all the others have kind of, Jai Courtney is still up in the air, but the others have kind of found their niche as character actors. He's kind of just disappeared, but he was, and he was probably bigger than any of those other people I mentioned as well. Where he had this, he had Avatar, he had the two Titans films. There are probably other movies too that I'm blanking on. Um, the only role I've ever seen him in that I liked was um, was ha- uh, Hacksaw Ridge. Otherwise, it's like, are they just are they just are they good actors in smaller roles and they're just completely out of place where they have to where like when they're in a movie like this where 
you need a certain like indefinable charisma to be able to carry a movie with you know off, they're often very, like fairly thin characters so it has to be like mostly the personality of the actor like is is it just he's lacking that is he just not a good actor period i don't know but he's super super bland and dull in this and in a lot of his other roles and it's sad i, I don't like criticizing actors in this way but he's just it just didn't work whatever he was whatever hollywood was trying to get with him it didn't it never came through like is he just really good in, in at auditions <laughs> so i i didn't hate him in this i i don't hate him but he's just this like what's it's just something that's just not there so i don't know i i think for me with a with a better script, he could have been decent. Like there are moments that I actually do kind of like. To me, something that he that he gets across at these different moments are like he's like he can be the slightly playful but really like gruff guy. Where it's it's rare that that comes out. Like the the moment of him, you know, having him try to take his gun and show him that he's got the strap. Like I, I like that moment fairly well. I think when he's when he's being the sleazy criminal, there's a, like when he he steals the kiss from Helena Bottom Carter, like there's there's like moments where he's being kind of nasty, that I think kind of work. It's, it's just flashes. What's What's funny to me is like more than more than anything because there there were a handful. Of, I, I think he's actually pretty decent whenever like they've got him strapped up, and I think he's really able to sell like the pain in the scene. Well, Mick, Mick G lets him down so hard there, because like. He screams once, and then we're cutting back to dialogue and exposition. It's like, yeah, oh. and and he's like, he's able to speak super coherently and everything. It's like, well, blah blah blah. It's like you should be like writhing, but uh, but I think the the couple moments that he has are done pretty well. What honestly bothered me more than anything, and it, like I don't know, whenever the stuff like this happens, it's it's one of those like super stupid, stupidly specific to me kind of things, but. Like I, I heard the accent come through, and it never went away. I'm like, you are Australian. Oh, you are the, the that 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 scene where he's hanging up. There's a line he gives that is just pure Australian accent. Like he's not even doing an American accent. <laughs> yeah. So my, uh, I was watching it in the living room. My sister walked through, and and this scene happened. And I just I said I, I'm pretty sure that this uh this was the first scene that they shot before he had any sort of accent down at all because like or there are moments shoot, where it's like maybe. it's in entire come back. sentences like just like you said like an entire line read is just oh you were you were just australian yeah and going to his arc there's another thing where there is something really interesting happening here when we get to the end like i have problems with skynet's arc but the notion of i thought i was fighting for one side but actually, that was like incredibly subtle programming, just pointing me in a direction and using, you know, my my using my human desires and thoughts, and just twitching them against what I actually want. And like, the, the, it's the stuff that psychological horror and dramas are made are you know made for. The notion of like, do I actually control my own mind? Am I literally just a slave? Like all all the AI stories, like. There is something really cool and horrifying about that notion, but again, it's so easily resolved and just and he just put oh, nope, I'm human, I'll do what I want, screw you, Skynet, and it's over. Like there's there's so little, there's so much meat you know meat for psych psychological horror there that's just is unexplored and untapped. Yeah, 
Uh, but I, also the plot is really stupid. <laughs> yeah, man, their their whole plan is the dumbest thing. Because like the the the, the, the kind of twist you, for a twist like this to work, you need to, it to be inevitable in hindsight. Like the moment they say like, "Oh yeah," so that's what that 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 moment. That's what all those moments were doing. But then you're like, okay, this was all a master plan. And you think back, but there were a whole lot of accidents on the way and so many places where he probably would have died. And there's really no reason he would have found, you know, found John Connor in the first place with what he was trying to do. Like, you could justify a little bit of that. Like, sure, like, they they knew where Kyle Reese was, so they kind of sent him in that direction. But, like, there, there are just some things that happen that just... So there's a... On the subject of both John and Marcus, there's... There's a moment that I think is just really weird between them. It's it's whenever he's in the he's in the river and they have their conversation and he's trying to win him over and he gives him the radio. He, like they basically agree on a plan and he takes a step away and then Bale just goes, "What are you?" And he's like, "I don't know." And he gets in the river like, "What? Y'all y'all just had a full conversation. You just gave him a radio. Y'all seem to be on like like not decent terms, but there's there's halfway like there's there's a, a Dude, plan I'm te- set up i'm telling you this film was chopped up so bad in editing it's it's not even funny but like i don't even i don't i can't imagine like what's in between that because it it's as like unless this is just the this moment this exchange between them was the ending to a different scene that was rewritten but still applied to this one i like i just don't get it like it's a full like we we talk to each other like he's still acknowledging, like, oh man, you think it's you, or you think you're real, blah blah blah, and he's like, okay, well, I'm going over here, and I'm going to prove to you that blah. He's like, okay, here's the radio, back up. What are you? <laughs> what the heck? This is just a weird moment. He's got real mood swings, man. Okay, let's go into some positives. I do, I do want to talk about the action. I think McGee's handling the action is pretty impressive. Not you know, not James Cameron level, but still pretty good. That opening scene, like. You you kind of think you're in for a good movie. <laughs> yep. They come in and the planes are flying over. The explosions are amazing. The helicopters land and there's like these amazing uh, apocalypse now explosions in the background as Christian Bale's striding out of his helicopter. The shot of the um the helicopter landing on the Terminator and he comes out, double taps its head. Yeah, it's just it's so, cool. so badass and cool looking. And uh, also Terry Crews is a corpse. Just like, Seconds. It's like the weirdest double take. Did you notice him? Uh. Uh-uh. He's just when, when Christian Bale climbs out and he sees a dead body. It's Terry Crews. Apparently, there was a larger cameo that had been cut out, uh, and Terry Crews didn't know about it. So he went. He went to the premiere and didn't realize his, <laughs> he had been. He had been telling everyone that he's in this movie, and he got to the premiere <laughs> and realized no, he's just a corpse. Right, have a second. Uh, well, that's the way it goes. And there's a really awesome long take where he climbs out of the hole. You know, we see the explosions and he runs out, jumps into the uh, the helicopter, lifts off, crashes. Then, you know, the, the Terminator grabs him. It's all done in one take. And then that shot of the helicopter crashing is really cool. It's kind of from his perspective inside. Like, there's some really just exciting filmmaking happening. And the Terminators are, are legit scary. Um, the effects are incredible. I like how he's... He makes them look old. They're all rusty and they, they sound kind of creaky, but also scary. The sound design is really powerful and terrifying. Um, like he does, he does so many things right with this film. Uh, it's so frustrating. Yeah. 
Like you said, you you really do think that you're in for a treat with that. I, like I love the opening oneer where like it leads into the helicopter landing, but like we land, we drop troops off, and we're seeing like jets drop bombs and. And you've got like three or four different compositions all in one shot, and like we're redirected from, from like visual to visual whenever like as jets fly by, and so like we're we're looking at something, and then a jet will fly by, and we'll follow it, and then we'll stop as our other troops land, and it's all in a take, and it it looks super cool. I'm like, well, you know, I'm I'm getting into de- defend mode. This is going to be a real good movie, and then mm-hmm. you know, like after he comes back up, and you know the the helicopter crashes and everything. That the fight he has with the Terminator, I think, is really cool. The moment that I I love is when it, like when he climbs through the helicopter and he he takes it out with the gun on the other side. Like that's just a cool moment. Mm-hmm. And the, the, that the composition as they both collapse on either, either side of the helicopter is really good looking. Yeah. Um, all the, the squibs, I the the bullet squibs in this like are so cool. I in Kyle Reese's intro where they fight the um the T six hundred with the the, the big mini guns and just oh. the street is exploding as and just the, the amount of debris flying is so cool looking um it's so much fun and again another really cool design where you have the the bits of scorched rubbery flesh hanging off he, so, he sounds so creaky and massive and just totally mini guns is so cool that that terminator looks incredible to me like the that, that was another thing that I did remember just the visual of this bulky Terminator with all like just it's got all of this scrappy like clothes and stuff hanging off of it and mm-hmm. like it looks terrifying and and you know, the the sound design of like the clanking feet and uh, and the minigun and everything and he just shoots and his it, own leg it, off yeah like it's just it looks awesome and terrifying and cool and like it's this. This is a, a a great depiction of like the the terror that these were. Mm-hmm. The the truck trace is great. Like mo- moto terminators are, are the stupidest thing ever, but I kind of love them. They're just motorcycles, but motorcycles are cool, so I like it. I think it's pretty fantastic. Like whenever the the giant arm first comes through, like this massive machine is really freaky. Like there's something. It's almost like a Spielberg War of the Worlds kind of just seeing. There's something about just like seeing this massive machine. It's like this is watching all the different vans try to to drive away and just get completely obliterated, and like it's it's made scarier because of the the emphasis on practical effects. So we're just like we're seeing all of these different people just get demolished in front of us, and it it also feels like a this was very this sequence especially is very influenced by like Children of Men. It just it's hmm. it's that that handheld wonder where they're they're trying to leave and they're like they're running this way and they see a van drive off and it gets blown up and we we're like the camera is just physically shaking every time there's an explosion it's almost like somebody's about to drop it and we're turning around here uh, it, it's just very visceral and and immediate and there's like you're com- you're in a very grounded point of view uh, and so like th- that whole sequence plays out in a way that I think is just visually really, really cool. I'm not a big fan of that giant robot. It, it feels, the design looks like super steampunk, which just feels completely at odds with all the rest of the Terminator designs. Um, but yeah, the, the actual filmmaking is pretty cool. And the ensuing chase has like major Mad Max vibes, which I'm oh, yeah. I'm totally here for. 
every time their truck like just like bashed into another car and moved it out of the way, I was like, yeah. And the escalation of that fight is hilarious. Where first they're just kind of running around the giant robot, then they're in a truck versus motorcycles, you know, then a truck versus a plane, then there's plane, then there's like an aerial dogfight, just like keeps escalating and escalating. Um, but the sound design on that the big um the big machine that the uh the harvester rides on, the sound design for that is really cool. Yeah, and like it it gets like increasingly ridiculous, but for some reason for me, like it never because there, I feel like I don't know. I can be kind of harsh whenever a, a action scene gets too ridiculous, and I just find myself rolling my eyes. For some reason, this even as like they 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 attach the the tow cable to the motorcycle and fling it into the like the hunter killer and stuff. I'm like, this is all kind of cool to me. It's all <laughs> it's all working. Yeah, why not? Um, another cool sequence I think is is the escape from the resistance base where uh, him and was it Blair the pilot? I think yeah. They're escaping, and I, I love night action sequences because they have the, the, the really harsh floodlights coming in and these beautiful pyrotechnics and the bullet squibs flying everywhere. And there's another really cool long take as they're hiding behind the walls. It's just, I just like when he lets his chaos out and just we get to watch the just so much destruction. Um, again, you know, no dramatic stakes or anything, but it's, it's fun enough, I guess. And then there's the climax at the Skynet base. And, okay, where are all the Terminators? This whole plot was to get John Connor in here and kill him. And you're in a Terminator base, and he only ever fights, like, one Terminator at a time? It's it's so stupid. Like, he gets in so easily. There's, there's, no, there's no guards. There's no, there's no resistance. And they only send one guy after him. Like, why aren't they being overrun? It makes no sense. Uh, yeah, I, I also feel the geography of this movie is really weird to me. Like, I don't buy... What is that? With, with, with as resourceful as Skynet is supposed to be, I don't buy that they wouldn't have found the Resistance base yet. Like, it feels like they're just a town over <laughs> based on the like the way this movie presents like location and stuff. And and it also feels like we we just get to the Skynet base like like all right it's time to move in all right we're there. There seems to be like a, a stalemate like they fought to a standstill like we we have our land they have their land there's no man's land like the resistance is massive in this like they have air bases and you know air support and nuclear submarines like they don't feel nearly as mu- you know as desperate as they do in in Cameron's view of the future which in fairness. Um, the way McGee talked about it, he said, like, essentially, the events of the first three Terminator films, they did change and affect the future. So this isn't this isn't strictly, you know, a translation of what Cameron showed. It's a different, slightly evolved future. And, and sure, fair enough. But they, 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 I feel like they needed to do more to establish, like, what is the situation? Like, yeah, like, like who is winning? Who's losing? How desperate are we? How you know how powerful and deadly are the machines? I don't really know this, and it, as far as I can tell, they're not terribly dangerous. Yeah, it, well, so the thing is, it I, I I also did kind of get that sense of like you have your place over here, we have our place over here. You're looking for us, we're gonna look for any time to hurt you. Like it's it it felt like there wasn't, I don't know, a lot of advancement going on. Uh, there was no real idea of, of territory outside of where what is established and if and if that is the case that's cool and and if if mcg wanted that to actually be integrated into the plot this idea that hey we weren't just 
we weren't just kicking the can of Judgment Day further down the road. We really have helped ourselves out. And like, it's it's not, we're on the brink of extinctions. Maybe like we, we have a better chance than we thought. Like there are things that you could do, establish that we are kind of at a stalemate. Like there, you know, you don't have to lock yourself into like what we, the glimpse we got in 1984, but uh, but it, it feels so ill-defined that I, I don't know what the stakes are. How, how big is it? You could have told me that the resistance is like, you know, a couple hundred there. You could have told me that there's like thousands of people at different base. Like, it's just, I, I don't know. I don't know what, what the, lo- like the logistics and, and, and numbers are. Uh, but I, I think like, the, the actual, the design, again, like the aesthetic is excellent. The design of the factory, like the, just the sparks and the flashing lights and the, the, the uh, the molten metal here and there, the, the effects on the Terminators themselves are excellent. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's aged, but I think the Arnold Schwarzenegger face isn't too bad. Like, I think there's, we've had a lot worse since then. I, that's, that's the thing that really surprised me is I'm like, okay, I do remember Schwarzenegger's in it, but I remember, like, I, I know it's a CGI double and it's 2009. So like, as the door opened, he's kind of out. I'm like, all right, you'll, it, it's 2009. It's okay. And I start, I'm like, all right, that's not that bad. Like I, that absolutely works for this scene. Yeah, and it's a kind of a clever touch. You know, the third act is happening in a factory, but it's a Terminator factory. <laughs> and there are just cool touches, like dropping the molten metal on the uh, Terminator and then cooling the metal, you know, rapid cooling the metal down. Like, there's a lot of cool stuff happening, but it does the thing I can't stand in this kind of, in the fights like this, where you have a, cr- a creature that can kill our leads with a single blow, but instead they just throw them a lot. <laughs> What's up with the throwing? Even in the like the cool fight scene at the beginning of the movie, that Terminator throws Bale like three times. Yeah, he gets thrown like twelve times in the finale. Like every time he grabs him, he could kill him right then and there. And so it, it just it dampens the stakes. It, it just makes the enemies look dumb and takes away from the scare factor. Like you know, if the thinking of back to the first film when they're running in the factory, you know, if this thing gets a hand on you, you are dead in seconds. And so like, it's that desperate struggle to just say what, you know, one inch ahead and just keep moving and maybe it won't grab my leg this time. And, but none of that's here because you know, they're, they're just constantly grappling. Yeah. It's pretty silly. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so like yeah, the action is pretty cool. Aside from, I think, you know, some of the problems at the ending, the action overall is pretty solid. Uh, I think and it's what keeps this movie watchable because there's a lot of it. I feel like every 10 minutes, like, you know, we, we've been talking for 10 minutes, action explosions, look over there. <laughs> it, it felt like it was, like, very deliberately laid out. Like, the, there was rarely any dramatic reason for the action scenes, but they happened a lot. So, hey, distractions. So, somebody else that, like... I think maybe it's it's me really projecting my love for the actor. I really like Anton Yelchin as Kyle Reese. Like mm-hmm. there's not really anything there, but he's he's an actor where like just being there and talking and being a presence is something that I really enjoy. And he's a really charismatic performer. Yeah, and and when he's next to Sam Worthington, that shines. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, but, you know, I I also found that, like, you know, me as somebody who really, like, 
sometimes has a has a harder time maybe than most in accepting different actors as the same character not on like any principle it's just like i it's it's hard for me to to try to to translate all of all of like the care and concern and like all of my investment in this thing over here it's like i i'm aware that you're a different actor it's it's just a thing but with him i was kind of able to buy you know this is this is a younger michael bean not even just in terms of looks but like he he kind of had that that quickness to him that that scrappy fighter vibe to him that uh Mm -hmm. that i really liked and I whenever he his his jacket is put on and he, you know he earns the the red uh tag I I'm like okay this guy this guy after going through what he's gone through he Wait, did that happen? I have I forgotten that moment. <laughs> where they, where they put him the the jacket on him and it's like you've earned this. I I totally missed that. <laughs> okay. Oh. Well, yeah, like it's it's whenever it's at the very end and Bale is on the table and he's like trying to talk and he points over the jacket and Sam Worthington grabs it and it shows like the red bandana thing tied around the sleeve and they put it on it and Bale's like, you've earned it. An emotional moment, Gabe. I can't believe you forgot it. <laughs> like there were several shots like, oh my gosh, there's Michael Payne. <laughs> like he really does embody that, you know, for what it's worth in this movie. Another like so like Bryce Dallas Howard. That's I really like her, but she's got nothing to do here. Like again, probably some stuff was cut out. Um, Moon Bloodgood, where I feel like she's like one of the performers like who's kind of more in tune with the movie itself. Like whereas Bale is just like so going so hard. And he's serious actor being serious. She's kind of having more fun with it. Um, like she's nothing, nothing amazing. There's nothing to the character as usual. Um. And how quickly she falls in love with Sam Worthington is ridiculous. <laughs> just the line, relax. I just want some body heat. <laughs> yeah. You're a nice Why? man. There's not a lot of those these days. Like, okay. All right. We we get it. Like, you, we want there to be a romance here. Has she been in anything else? Like, I, this is the oh, only thing I know her from. the show that I was all about called Falling Skies. And... Yeah, she's like one of the principal characters, and so whenever she came up here, is she any good there? She's fine. Like, I mean, it's she's very similar there as she is here, where it's just kind of a, it's a, it's a mostly fun character who's like it's like this this universe's version of like being serious and tough and stuff, and like I I like her. There's really not much more to say about the characters, or <laughs> is there anything much more to say about the film itself? Um, so I'm gonna give a shout out to Star for being adorable. She the, is uh, freaking adorable. She's the so moment, cute. like every, anytime she looks, like you know, she's she's always the first to notice something, like rumbling. Every time she gets scared, I'm like, oh, y'all better protect this little precious person. Uh, they were whenever, gonna kill her in the fir- in the first version. Oh my gosh, how no, dare they? No, you can't do that. Whenever she she has her little med pack and she pulls out the band aid, I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is precious. Oh, I love it. Yes. Plus one point for an adorable child. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I, we should talk about like the, the whole the insane timeline to the Terminator series. So, like, what timeline is it? Is this supposed to be... I guess like all they haven't yet started decanonizing films yet. <laughs> so th- this this is a direct sequel to Terminator 3, I'm assuming? That's how it's that's how it's presented to me. Like, just with, with no intro... It, it feels like 
since Kate has no introduction, to me it feels very much like that. Oh yeah, like it's a it's a recast, but like you know they were both there, blah blah blah. Like it it feels like it's trying to be a continuation, even though it's not like the military. It's Cyberdyne. I oh, it, that bothered me. Yeah, it, it, I guess the 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 aesthetic change is so harsh, and the you know the actor the recast is so you know, crazy different. It doesn't really register to me as a sequel to Terminator 3. It feels like one of the many, you know, unofficial reboots of the series kind of thing. Um, because it's, it's, it's just so different. I, I, I don't, I have a very hard time, you know, making this and, you know, Terminator 3 sequels. Uh, but not that I really care to, because I don't care about this movie. I think what, what helped it for me was like, the end of Terminator 3 being, you know, like, this is John Connor, blah, blah, blah. It's like this exchange with other presumable like, oh, yeah, military yeah. leaders. And and he, he is doing the broadcast. I, I did like, like again, another another wonderful dramatic opportunity wasted. The broadcast he's doing kind of like behind uh, High Command's back. Yeah. Uh, anything else you got to mention before we close out? Oh, <laughs> I really don't know. Probably not. I think I got to everything that I liked about it. Yeah. All right. So uh, what do you give this film out of five stars and how do you rate it against the uh, previous three films? You know, I'm going three stars. I had a good time with this movie. It's not good. It's, it's ridiculous. It takes itself very seriously. Uh, So so serious. maybe, Maybe that's, maybe Bill is in the right movie in that both he and the movie are trying too hard and they're like matching <laughs> each other's trying too hard. Yeah, but it's like, it's, I can't, it feels like the, this film's problem is not trying too hard, but just not trying. It's trying only in the technicals, but uh, whatever. We, we talked about this. <laughs> yeah. We've got an hour of going over exactly what this movie's problems, many problems are. But anyways, I don't like, if I were to try to be more objective, it would change. But I'm I'm embracing trying to reflect my my experience with this movie and a score, and I I genuinely had a fun time with it. You know, I if I were trying to be more objective, this would probably change. But if I, I'm trying to embrace using this score to be more indicative of of my experience, just like sitting down on the couch with this in front of my eyes. After the fact, I, like the first second I thought about it, it's like, oh, well, this and that, and they didn't do anything there. And, and and what was the entire, like, why even include this character? Like, I have all of these issues, but moment to moment, like, I'm just having a really good time. And so, yeah, I don't know. I I kind of had an okay time with it. Uh, so my, my ranking would be... Uh, number one is Terminator 2. Number two is Terminator 1. Number three is Salvation. Uh, and number four wow. is Rise of the Machines. Uh, I, I kind of, I thought back and forth. I think what really, what tipped it for this movie was three. Three was a fun, cheesy time, but, but very forgettable. Like after the fact, Outside of the ending, I I have nothing really to latch on to, and and I mean if if a if an amazing movie like Terminator Two is going to get like a level of criticism from me for being what I felt like is a little bit derivative, then like whenever Terminator Three does the same thing as equally derivative, but like with way less quality, like I I appreciated that Salvation was like like this is a 
totally new aesthetic. We're going full future, giant robots, motors. Like it's, it felt way more fresh. And I really did love the, just the visuals and the action and stuff. And so I, I remember, I'm going to remember this one way more. And, and I even think in the moment to moment, I'm having like more fun looking at the screen with this one than, than three. I, I give it two stars. I, I don't, it's a bad movie. Like when, when action is happening, I am, I love it. Every other second is just boring. There's, n- there's no soul. There's no brain. There's nothing, there's nothing here. It's, it's one of the most bafflingly empty movies I've ever seen with a cool aesthetic here, with the cool you know look draped over it. And honestly, a look that I wish blockbusters like would you know take inspiration from, but holy moly, is it dull? Yeah, I honestly, I wish that instead of the the constant reboots, I wish they just got a better writer to to try to build off of the aesthetic created here. I'm kind of sad that we never got a movie that looked quite like this since. Yeah, so I give it two stars, and uh, my ranking for the series so far is uh. Number one, T2 Judgment Day. Number two, The Terminator. Number three, Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines. And number four, Terminator Salvation. I think this is probably the, the biggest uh, disagreement we've had so far. <laughs> we agreed on everything throughout, but apparently you you still liked it more, more than I did, a full star more. Like I said, if if I tried to... I don't know, maybe if I watched it again, because like it, it was also fun getting to see it for the first time since. I bet if I were to turn it on, like... Today, like tomorrow after work, this would, I don't know, maybe it drops down to two, but because it has the benefit <laughs> of like, I haven't seen it in so long and I get to experience all this for the first time, like the action will be less thrilling if I watch it again soon. And it, so the sheen might sparkle just a little less and I'm like, oh yeah, it's a, it's a two star. But for now, I, I really liked my watch. So moving into the uh, box office and reception. So it earned 120 million domestically and uh, 246 million in the foreign markets for a worldwide total of 371 million on its massive 200 million dollar budget. So it was it would have been a pretty big bomb. It stands at number three in the series domestically under T2 and Rise of the Machines, and number four worldwide under those two films and Genesis. It's like the the domestic box office for this series is really sad. Um, each one since T2 has made a decent chunk less than the previous installment. It's just steadily downhill, which 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 I find crazy. Like, like each and every new installment, you have like a new production company coming in, throwing massive amounts of money. Like all of these are big budgeted films, but are they not paying attention to the box office and reception of the series? Like the the kind of blind optimism that each new producing team has had is fascinating. It got a very poor critical reception. Uh, with a 33% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 41 on Metacritic, um, the audience rating is just a bit more positive. Uh, they, they tops out. They top out around you know, 50 to 60%, and that's pretty consistent across uh, IMDb and Letterboxd. The primary criticisms were you know, the storytelling, and it's just really dour tone. People just found it you know far too self-serious for how dumb it was. Uh, and yeah, just every review is just pointing out just how soulless they found the film's characters and story. Although there is a pretty consistent uh, thread of praise as well, though for the aesthetic and the production value. Um, but just all of that is just still drowned out by just how bland people found the movie. Yeah, so it was not nominated for Best Visual Effects, which I find quite unfair. 
Um, it, obviously, Avatar won that year, and District 9 and Star Trek were the other two nominations. Both amazing-looking movies. But they, for some reason, they were only doing three nominations at this point. Next year, they up it to five, and they've been doing five ever since. Maybe maybe this is why. But yeah, it, I, it was one of the one of the, the kind of the front runners for a nomination. It was on the short list. Uh, but it, it it's pretty incredible looking for a 2009 film. And there are there's like one or two moments where like, oh, that's kind of janky CGI. And for a film this filled with effects, that's that's incredible. Uh, like when you can't tell the difference between a CGI Terminator and a practical Terminator, like you know you're doing something right. We've seen CGI Terminators in 2003, and they don't work very well. For the film's overall legacy since then, we kind of talked about it at the beginning, uh, in that this, you know, Terminator 3 has, I think, received a slight amount of, like, increase in defense. Uh, I think people are kind of being like, oh, that's not too bad. I, I, I don't see that happening very often with Salvation. This one... That's this weird. This one's still... Like well, because like we we I feel like it's actually this is one of the ones that kind of people will come to defend, as we saw with you know, the other couple reactions we read about you know from from the feedback. Like, well, this seems to be one that people will go to bat for a bit more than other sequel uh, other sequels in the series. I I guess so. I know a couple people who like me, like. Well, like me before I rewatched it, although, you know, I, I still kind of talked about how I, I liked it, who who kind of go up to bat for it. But I, I feel like the reason the, the, the people do, uh, you know, call it out is because it is the it is the only film in the series that breaks away from the road trip chase movie format. Um, in you know, a series of six films, it's the only one that has a unique, you know, structure to it. And, you know, I think the, the aesthetic is something that a lot of people enjoy. It's not beloved by any means, but I feel like there's a, there's a small contingent of people who will who do go to bat for it more than anyone does for Genesis or or a third one. I so I may just be missing all of this, uh, which is very like likely, um, because like I, I don't know, just there's there's like a couple people that I know, like I said that that really enjoy it, but for the most part, I, I still just see it really getting bashed on by people. Which was always surprising to me because I feel like in a in long running series, there's all like every single one of like the bad sequels always has like their fan base. And to me, of all of the subsequent sequels, this one seems most primed for like a a cult following and and reevaluation just because of how it it is the the most distinct it, it, just in terms of visual and structure like you said it's it's the most distinct among the entire series but yeah i i don't know i i haven't seen a lot of it but i'm also only just now really looking i guess yeah imagine how big the cult following would be if it actually like you know had a single dramatic moment or you know coherent theme we're this close to greatness yeah <laughs> All right, <laughs> that's a good place to end this episode. So that was our review of Terminator Salvation. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, I'd ask you to please uh, take a moment to go and uh, rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to like us on Facebook, we're there as Franchise Fatigue Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram as at FranchisedPod. And you can find all our other episodes at FranchiseFatiguePodcast.com. And where can people follow you, James? You can follow me on Letterboxd. I am there as JL Hamry. It's J-L-H-A-M-R-I. And then you can also find the both of us over on the Outer Rim, a Star Wars group. It's a Star Wars group 
uh, designed to be a more positive place to talk about Star Wars and everything we love about it, as well as be excited with each other about all of the, the great new content we have coming our way. So definitely feel free to join us over there. I am also on Letterboxd, and there's Gabriel Green. You can follow me on Instagram as Gabe the Great Green. And I have a YouTube channel called Greenery01, where I put out these uh, movie-based music videos and uh, trailer mashups. So uh, next week, we're going to be talking about Terminator Genesis. Um, and honestly, at this point, I can't. I have a hard time differentiating my actual you know, uh, thoughts on the film and just the absolute drubbing it's had since then. <laughs> like, this is, I think, by far the most hated film in the series. Um, so hey, maybe we'll find it's a slightly underrated. We'll see. So uh, until next week, we will see you in <laughs> the much hated sequel. You and me are done professionally, mate.